Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, today we're going to be talking about moms getting back in the workforce. What do you do when you put your life on pause, or at least your career on pause, to raise a bunch of kids and you want to get back? Listen in. I'm going to give you great advice. Lots of people have a hard time leaving their high-paying job, big responsibilities to start their own business. Today, I'm talking to a guy who's often running in nine different directions, and I'm going to straighten them out. Hi, Barbara. This is Anita from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am wondering what I need to be doing because I'm a stay-at-home mom with my five-and-a-half and and three-year-old, and I haven't been working even part-time this entire time at home due to just health reasons and not being able to commit to anything at that level because of the high demand of this age of my children are in, as well as having to have supported my husband with his career changes. So I've had to put everything on pause Even though I was very educated in business, I went to graduate school for marketing, but when I started my corporate job, after about a year and a half, I had to come out of it and start this whole family. So my question for you is, what would you advise someone like me? I have basically no resume. Everyone thinks of me as someone who's been out for six, seven years without any experience, and I would really, really appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Anita. You've given up your career to be a great mom to your kids, and I have no doubt you're a great mom. I could just hear it in your voice. I want you as my mother, but I don't know how to work that out. Uh, And you support your husband in his career. But could you take me back to before you gave up your career? What were you actually doing? You said you worked for about a year and a half and then started your family, I think. We moved to America when I was about eight, nine years old. And so I had to go through the struggle of learning the language, you know, the first three or four years just Mm. having an accent during that really pivotal time in a child's life. Mm. So I feel like that just set me up with this mentality of just going and having to succeed no matter what, because I was the firstborn. And not only did I have to figure things out for myself, I had to figure it out by translating everything to my parents. And how does this culture work? And where were you coming from? Where did your family move from? We moved from Iran. We lived in Turkey for a little bit to transition. And that's something that's been the thing that I'm most grateful for because I value every little opportunity, even now in my 30s. In the Middle Eastern culture, success in school is everything Mm -hmm. because that's the way out. Coming to America, my parents just said, you know what, we're going to support you, go for it. Learning the language was huge for me. And then after that, my parents wanted me to just get a full scholarship to college because that's the only way you're going. Just having that in the back of my mind, I remember as a fifth, sixth grader, meeting with counselors and trying to see what I needed to do. I had to work so hard and go to the best business school in in the area. Back then there wasn't a full scholarship. So I had to work like $500 here, win a scholarship for $1,000. All of that added up to a full debt-free business degree from Oral Roberts University, which was just life-changing. My gosh. Right after high school, you went to college. 
Yes. Yes. I went to business school, but after that, I just wanted to be the best. My mom wanted me to be the the A plus student. So I graduated summa cum laude and I was the top person in my major, which was just hard work because it didn't come easy to me. The thing that attracted me to you was the way that you talk about education. And I thought, oh my God, that is so true because when everything made sense to hundred percent of the classroom, I was the one that didn't understand. And so I just had to outwork everyone. Mm. So for me to be a summa cum laude was like winning the Nobel Prize because for me, it was not easy to work in school. But coming from that kind of a unpredictable background with the government and fleeing from our country, school was the one predictable infrastructure. So I just held on to that because I knew everything else in my life was unpredictable and is moving but school, the answer is in the book, right? So if I don't understand it, I'm going to find another way to figure it out. Mm. But coming out of a business school, I wanted to interview and get hired right away because I was engaged at the time. My husband's from Sweden and he's also Persian. I knew I wanted to work two years just to have the tax return to buy a house. And what were you doing for those two years, Anita? When you got your first job, I went right into corporate America. The best company in our city, we know at the time was a Northwestern Mutual, which was a financial services industry. I interviewed for the sales position, knowing that that's not what I wanted for commission. Mm-hmm. I wanted a job, but I just weaved my story into it. And I said, this is the bus I want to be on. So whatever position you want to put me in. And they said, okay, we'll create a position for you. Do some contract work. And then I ended up being the recruiter. For nine months. The recruiter for what, Anita? Give me a little bit more detail. For their financial representatives, like financial planners coming into the practice. You interviewed them and talked them into working for the company and why the company was so good, the financial services company? Exactly. I got it. How did you do in that job and how did you enjoy it? I did not like having a result that was not in my control, right? Because I was speaking at all these different college campuses, interviewing probably a hundred different students and not getting the numbers that I was needing because at the end of the day, I'm selling them an internship that's unpaid for this college student to come into our company and eventually maybe join us full time. I didn't feel convinced in what I was selling, but interviewing, I love the people skills. I love being with people and interviewing. I could interview for two hours. Mm. I love learning about people. Well, that turned into a promotion after about nine months of doing that, I got promoted to work with the full-time financial planners that were coming in and starting a practice. So I was to teach them and train them in how we do it in our firm. How did you like training them versus recruiting them? I loved it, but kind of like an expander, the, the term that you use, and I like to go full throttle, but that was a lot of filing papers and assist and people thinking I'm their assistant and showing up at my desk and telling me what to do. And which was fine if it was going to get me somewhere. But I remember they would bring me their insurance cases and I would have to stay after work and call our underwriters and just work so hard like a lawyer for them to get things underwritten, pushed through because I had the power to Mm -hmm. whether push it through today or let them go for their next quarter. So I felt so much success in that. What you learned from the two different positions you had at the financial services company was that you enjoyed working with the people more than you enjoyed sitting at your desk, but you also didn't enjoy going out and selling per se because you didn't totally believe in the product because it was unpaid for the people that you were recruiting. Am I reading that and listening well? That's so true. One thing I did learn in pushing cases through in underwriting was that I was winning these points basically for them and they were getting awarded maybe going on trips to Jamaica and Bahamas. 
because mm. they were getting those points that I was helping push through for them. But you know what I got out of it? Nothing. I got an extra 30 minutes at work. Oh, at work. a funny way of putting it. You got rewarded with more work. Great job. Get back and do some more work. I get it. Okay. Exactly. So let's get to the heart of the issue why you were calling me at 888-BARBARA. You want yes. advice on how to get back into the workforce that somehow fits in your life with two young children, a five-year-old and a three-year-old at home, and also supporting your husband and his role as the breadwinner for the family. I have two small detailed questions to ask on that. One, do you need the money? At this point, it would be supplemental. Well, that's perfect because it allows an individual to be more selective. Secondly, yes. do you feel confident that your three-year-old could start school and that it would be a good school and you would be comfortable with having the child there in a full-time capacity, I'm assuming, say nine to three yes. in the day? So you trust the school? Yes. Okay. And Absolutely. your five-year-old is already in that same school? Yes, she's in the same school full-time, and he's going to go there in the fall of next year. That's terrific, because that, for so many working moms or would-be working moms, is an obstacle. They're afraid to leave the child in a good school where they have the confidence and the peace of mind to attend to work. But you have that first very important step covered. You have a school you've tested out with your five-year-old. She's happy, you're happy, and your three-year-old's about to start. Yes. Okay. Very important. The other piece, of course, is that you just share with me that it's optional money. It's not money you must have to put the bread on the table next week. Right. All right. So how do you pinpoint the job that might give you emotional satisfaction, the satisfaction of doing a day's work and being so eager to go into the workforce the very next day? That would be the goal, right? Yes, absolutely. And you don't want to do it as a volunteer. You want to be paid for it. Yes, exactly. And the payment for it is not because, again, uh, you're the bread uh, winner in the family, but because you want to be paid as proof that you've done a good job. Exactly. You're not asking for a lot, Anita, but it seems to me from your earlier question that you're concerned that you might get a good job. Like you're more worried not so much about finding the right job, but how are you going to sell yourself into the workforce because you've been out of it for all these years. Am I right? Absolutely. There's no resume that I have left, honestly. Well, it's funny because I was listening uh, and I heard a phenomenal resume from your own mm. lips. Uh, let me read it back to you, okay? You've already worked in the financial services industry, all right, from this year to this year. Granted, it wasn't last year, okay? Right, but it was only a year and a half. A year and a half, but you didn't leave after a year and a half and you were promoted within the year and a half. So I see, exactly. I'm visualizing the resume in my head and I see two positions at the same company that showed that you were given more responsibility and you had been moved ahead. I also see in that resume, just on the one financial industry description of the job, that you're exposed to quite a few things. You were in the field, you did sales, you interviewed people, you recruited people, you worked with people day to day, and you got a number of the sales force, or not the sales force, but the people who were hired under your direction to train and support and do the administration for, you got a number of those people to get sales rewards of some kind, referencing the trips. I just see the makings of a phenomenal two paragraphs describing that phenomenal job you had at the financial services company back when, what was it, 10 years ago? I quit in 2012. Okay, fine. And don't say quit. Say you left to raise your family. I, I see that the next line of your resume. So where you started, you left to start your family. That is on a million resumes and probably on two out of three resumes I see in my work and people that I hire. I never hold that against them. 
as long as they weren't leaving for 12 years to sit at home and enjoy exotic food or some ridiculous (laughs) thing. Okay. So you have a plausible reason for leaving to raise your family. You also have a plausible reason for coming back into the workforce, which is your children are old enough to both be in school. All right. So far, that resume sounds good to me as an employer, if I was reading it. You also have some secret sauce that should be front and forward in the resume that I think would attract anyone's eye. Number one, you are a first-generation immigrant. You had a phenomenal role model in your parents. Your whole attitude is one of appreciation that's going to come across in any not resume, but it's going to certainly come across in the interview. But getting back to the resume, you went to graduate school or business school? I went to school for business. When I left in 2012, it was to go get a marketing course, which was at a MBA level, but I couldn't afford the MBA. So I got the one course I knew fit fit my personality. So you have additional training toward your MBA, which you may or may not continue. That's terrific. But you're the top of your class. You graduated with the highest honors. You succeeded so far in everything you've done. And this is the way I want you to look at your future resume, okay? I'm giving you your sales pitch because you said it. I'm just letting you hear it uh, from my mouth. You came into the country. You struggled to learn the language. You're extremely articulate, wonderfully well-spoken, all right? You learned how to work hard by watching your parents and you share that work ethic. You valued education. You succeeded at it, not just in an ordinary way, but at the top of your class. And then you went for additional training for the information you needed to succeed in what you were pursuing. You pursued the financial services company, quote, the top in their field. They hired you for one position and promoted you into another position. And then you left to raise your family. Now you're going back to the workforce. What do you got for me? I'm telling you, that is a substantial resume. That's a resume where there are no Fs on the report card. A, 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 no matter how you look at it. So one, you got to get your head on straight, know that you have a phenomenal resume. I would suggest you sit down and you write that before you go to bed tonight or after the kids are in bed, probably more logical that you have the time to actually sit down and write that. And then look at it the next day and rewrite it again and make it shorter. It should be on one page. Really brag. It's a brag sheet is what it is. Now, the next important thing is you need to see what's out there. So just go on the websites and I would start with financial industry because that's going to be your easiest one to walk back into, but I wouldn't restrain it to just that kind of a search. I would look for sales because I heard from you that you wouldn't have minded sales if it wasn't on a commission basis. And a lot of sales are not on a commission basis. They give you a salary plus commission. If you believed Mm -hmm. in what you were selling, the only thing that got in your way wasn't talking to people when you were visiting the colleges. It wasn't that you were unwilling to travel visiting the colleges. It wasn't your ability to come through with what you were hired for. The only thing that was in the way is you didn't really believe in what you were selling. That gets in the way of any great sales. But I think you're a great salesman. I hear in you sales ability. Okay. So if you were selling something you believed in, you might have loved that job top to bottom. So I think you should look at the financial services industry, just any capacity to get started. What are they looking for? I think you should look at sales positions that also have a salary component, if that's still important to you. But you said the income is optional. Uh, So you might even look at a pure commission-based sales position because they always pay the most in the end if you're any good at it. And then I think you should look at training. You've done training. Now let's bring you forward to you get the appointment to be interviewed. I wouldn't worry about that. The only thing I would do if I were you 
is to remember what your sales points are and stay focused on them. Because I interview thousands and thousands of people in my life, and you suffer from one thing that many people suffer from, and in the end, it's the easiest thing to get rid of, which is you talk too much. Yes. That is also marked, by the way, of a phenomenal salesperson. I never hired a top salesperson who didn't talk too much. (laughs) So that's even a good (laughs) sign. So if you're going to go into a sales position, talk all you want. But if it's going to be anything other than sales, you better stay on your sales points. And therefore, phenomenal parents, phenomenal work ethic, phenomenal at school. And you did phenomenal in the first position that you had that so well that you even got promoted to another position. That's a great resume. And everything you say should circle around those four sales points. If you go in for three interviews, let me tell you, you're going to have a position offered to you. I have no doubt in my mind. So get rid of the fear of people not wanting you. I would instead focus on the desire to find something that pleases you, that suits your personality that you're going to enjoy. And if you make a mistake on the first position, once your children are comfortable in school, don't give it a lot of time. Make a mistake, quit it, drop it off your resume like it never happened and go right back to the drawing board and get a different position. Because you have the luxury of being able to try a few things without feeling like, I can't leave, I need that next paycheck. And that is a luxury you should take advantage of. So that's what I would do. There's my formula for getting Anita out Everyone's always looking for enthusiasm that you have, and everyone's always looking for someone who succeeded at everything they touch. And that's exactly what you've done. Wow. Thank you so much. That puts so many things in perspective. Just own it and practice your sales pitch because you're going to use the same three points for every single position. Got it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Barbara. My pleasure. I want to tell you a quick little story that you might get a kick out of because you'll remember not to be this, okay? My older sister moved to Alaska very capable executive secretary. She interviewed for two years and couldn't get a position. I couldn't believe it until I said to her, well, you must have a problem with the interview. You're so good at your job, your resume, blah, blah, blah. And she said, I'm good. I said, well, what do they ask you? What do you say? And the first question almost always was, tell us about yourself. And my sister, who is an avid animal lover, would talk for 25 minutes on her cats, her dogs, (laughs) and her... Love of painting her walls different colors every six months. Now, I'm giving you the impression she's a whack, okay? She's not. (laughs) What she is is someone who's unusual with what she likes to do. But everyone she interviewed with did not hire her until she got smart with interviewing. Tell us about yourself. Oh, I love organization. I love efficiency. These are all things that were true. She just forgot to mention it. So Mm -hmm. practice your interview with a friend or someone who doesn't like you who will be more honest than a friend and just hammer away at those three sales points because those are indeed so valuable. And I wish you luck and let me know the minute you get your first offer. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Anita, I love you. Thanks, Barbara. I love you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now, a few things about my wonderful sponsor, On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. Wow, this is crazy. Hopefully, Barbara, you'll hear this. My name is Tushik. I'm 27 years old. I'm a management consultant. And my question for you is, for professionals like me who... uh, work around the clock within the consulting or financial industry, how do we start pivoting into entrepreneurship and following your dream? How do we kind of like begin that journey? What would you recommend in terms of 
starting off that journey and, and, and really kind of taking my fate under my own control. Um, as I'm learning a lot about business, I want to apply that and my passions. Would love to hear your opinion. Hello there, Tashik. How are you? Hey, Barbara. How are you today? Thank you so much for uh, reaching out. <laughs> my pleasure. I listened to your question. I thought, I feel like I know this guy, or maybe you just represent so many people uh, thinking the same thing, you know? So I was so happy to get your question. That is awesome. Thank you so much. You are spot on with that. There's a lot of, you know, peers within kind of like my age group and my friends that have exactly the same thing in mind. Yes. Looking forward to get your guidance and your perspective on it. Tashik, tell me how old you are, how long you've been doing what you're doing, and what do you consult on? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about myself, I'm a Mongolian-American. Mm-hmm. I moved to the uh, United States in 2009. Prior to that, I actually spent half of my life in Germany and the other half in Mongolia. So I have a little bit of a diverse background, sure, living much in different so. countries. Currently, I work um, in the management consulting industry. Specifically, I help companies cut costs, specifically for private equity portfolio companies. And then prior to that, um, I worked in retail technology. Totally different spectrum of skill sets. Help develop associate mobile applications. Mm, so different. My gosh. Cutting costs versus developing applications. They're like on opposite ends of the world, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, and there's a reason why I wanted to have that broad experience. I am an aspiring entrepreneur. I love that you are not afraid to go with your gut uh, when you make these investment decisions and your feelings. And I feel like those were the biggest bets that paid off for you. And that's something that I like to do. I like to follow my gut as well. And it's awesome to see that someone, you know, goes beyond logic as well. Mm-hmm. I live in New York uh, right now. I uh, moved here around two years ago. Um, during my free time, I like to play video games, figure out you know, if there's any problems to solve in the world and, and see if, how I can become an entrepreneur. So, Which position did you enjoy? Was one better than the other? Did you enjoy the first more than the latter one or the more recent one? Or did you not like either of them? That is a very interesting question. In terms of enjoying it, I think developing the apps and that experience was more fulfilling because I was able to, I think, create something out of nothing. Mm. That's what I like, right? I like to work with teams. I like to get into the details while maintaining a high level view. But, you know, to me, it's kind of like all about, you know, you're creating value. And we were able to like really help the associates that work in the store do their job better every day. And that to me was very fulfilling. My current role, there's an overall quote, what is it? Efficiency is beneficial for the world, I guess. Except for the people you fire, (laughs) of course. Exactly. Part of that I do, I do like overhead analysis and then consult on that and efficiencies, but I also do B2B like optimization mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, like the clients pay the right prices in the market for, for the indirect and direct categories. So from that perspective, you know, I'm able to drive a lot of cost savings and help improve their profitability. That's pretty cool. But I think from a cultural perspective, as you kind of know, it's, it's a little bit more cutthroat. That's something that I'm, I'm shying away from today is really trying to figure out how do I find an environment where I enjoy the company around me and I don't feel consistently, I guess, pressured to do things that I necessarily don't believe in. All right. So what's stopping you from leaving where you are now? You need the money? Ever since I I, I submitted my uh, question to you, I uh, took matters in my own hand as well and I started the process. Good for you. Wow. Yeah. You um, working kind of uh, on the side, you know, two to three hours every day. You've been working two to three hours a day with the idea that you're putting everything in place to start your own business. Yes. Great for you. What business are you planning to start? I have a notebook full of ideas, but this one stuck as the best and number one priority. Mm-hmm. I became a United States citizen actually several years ago. Uh, went through the process, and you know, finally I'm a citizen. And one of the 
things that I wanted to do was, you know, I wanted to educate myself on the political process. What I was able to learn was that process of learning about the political process and learning how Congress works, who is who, what legislations are on the floor. All that information was so painful to gather and to really figure out what's going on. When you said it was painful to gather, was that because it was needed for you to become a citizen or it was painful to gather because it was a difficult process to learn for your own sake of knowledge? The latter. Oh, for your own sake of knowledge. Is that something that most immigrants would share after they became a U.S. citizen that they'd really want and have a desire to learn the political process? Is that something very common among that same group of people? I can't speak for a large population of people, but I mm-hmm. think from the immediate network that I have of people who went through this change of transitioning becoming a United States citizen, that is absolutely something that we want to figure out and Terrific. learn about. I'm ashamed <laughs> of the Americans that have been born here with absolutely no desire to learn anything like that. But at the same time, I think like it needs to be an easy resource, right? Mm. And I think that everyone deserves to have an easy-to-use platform to get informed on what's going on in Congress. And And is that going to be your business? You're going to create an easy-to-use platform to provide a resource Mm -hmm. for people like you to learn the political process. Absolutely. It's the vision statement for it is um, it's Congress in your pocket, essentially. Is that the name of it, by the way? The name of it is Preamble. That's good, too. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for you to connect with your government. You can discuss legislation that's on the floor with other people who are interested in it. And it's a safe and secure kind of community platform that I'm trying to put together to get the people informed on current legislation that's being voted on, like HR3, 90% of the people probably don't know what that means, right? Mm. These are the things I really want to do and provide more visibility to current political incumbents. You know, what are your election dates, right? How do you even vote? Who are the candidates that are running for these seats? We have, you know, presidential debates and all that. And it's one of the most important roles in government, but also it matters, you know, at the local level, your senators, your representatives, your state representatives too, and you know your vote does matter, right? And and what you believe in. So what I love about what I'm hearing, in addition to your thoughts and your concept, what I really love about it is your wild ass enthusiasm. Thank you. <laughs> and I think there's another set of users that I'm interested in, kind of like learning more about on how I can bring them into the platform, which is the actual representatives mm. and the actual senators. Um, and it's kind of like a I hate using the word. It's a community platform, social media. There's a portion of that as well, but it's how do I bring in that base of of users into that platform where we can have those conversations, right? Let me ask you a few questions on the users, right? Sure. You probably already have a plan in place on how to bring in the users, meaning the people who want the information. Do you also have an idea or a way of bringing in the political candidates or whoever you would like to have direct contact with on your platform? Do you have a way of bringing them in to get them involved, be a willingness to be involved? Do you have a method of doing that? And if you don't, is it absolutely necessary? To answer your first question, I don't have a method. I have a strategy. I think influencer marketing can work on that. Mm-hmm. And then two, I think it's not absolutely necessary to have them on the platform, but hopefully based on the traction that I can get from the user people, I guess the officials would come along and be on that platform. One of the features that I want to put into this platform, you know, from a long-term vision perspective is I want to have a advertising platform as well for people who are officially signed up at the FEC, that they're actually running for Congress or whatever it is where they can, you know, distribute ads based on, you know, the user's zip code and things like that. Now I'm going to tell you, Tushig, what I like about it, what I don't like about it. And 
You're welcome to take I would what love I, your feedback. Whatever I don't like about it, please choose to ignore it because I find that some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs that I've had the fortune to work with listen to their own counsel best. And I always advocate for that. So you could get information from a million bright people, but feel totally free to ignore everything I might suggest to you because I could be wrong. You're in your shoes. I'm not in your shoes. And you are indeed the best judge. Okay. Here's the laundry list of what I really like about what you're doing. Okay. Before I start on that, one other question. How are you going to afford this? How are you going to support yourself while you start this business if you quit your other job? Or are you planning to keep your other job until this is up and running and profitable? Exactly. The latter. Yeah, I think I have to be practical. If you're going to keep your other job while you're starting this, I love it. That's going to be top of the list, okay? Because most of the great entrepreneurs that I've invested in on Shark Tank, and including myself when I was starting my business, they all and I always worked another job. Nothing's better than having super time pressure on yourself to accomplish anything. So Mm -hmm. that you're starting this three to four hours on the side of a full-time job that's a responsible job is amazing. I love the idea of that being a start point. Mm -hmm. Now, the next thing I really love is that it taps into something that brought you satisfaction before. You were developing apps in your first position and you liked it so much more than the position you're in now. And I almost equate that first position as a position where you were building something and Mm -hmm. that gave you satisfaction Mm -hmm. versus a position you're doing now full-time, which is you're breaking something down, which doesn't give you satisfaction. So one thing for sure we know about you and you know about yourself is you like to build something. That's the second thing on the list I love. People like to build things, build businesses well. If you are a critic and like to see what's wrong with things, you might mouth off about building a business. Those people never succeed building anything. You have to naturally be a builder and that's what you've got. I also like the idea that you're tapping into a knowledge base that you were very good at and that you're practiced at. You're in the technology space. You know technology. And so why not build something for yourself? That's third Mm -hmm. on it, okay? I like the fact that you really are passionate about learning the political process and everything that goes along with it, and you want to share it with other people. Why I like that is because businesses that come out of the force of your heart and your own belief always succeed because you can't fake it. Enthusiasm, which is clear from listening to you, is contagious, and that's a very good way to sell people. They're all very important, and I believe they will lead to great success with what you're doing. The thing I I don't like about, and again, choose to ignore me if you want, is you want to do too many things at once and you're going to trip on yourself. That's what I think, okay? Uh, You talked about wanting to get in an audience of people that want to be passionate about learning about the political process, those users, okay? I would suggest you make that your target only. Just start with that and seeing how many users, like-minded souls you can get on your platform that feel just like you and make them happy and try to do everything you want for them. I don't like the fact that you'll reach out for the political people from the get-go too you know, the senators Mm. to join the platform. I think getting one of those guys, two, three, you get three people, more will join. Getting those first three people is going to be quite a challenge and not so easily gotten. And now you might go out next week and get them. Good for you. I'm totally wrong. and I'm very happy I'm wrong then. But I think uh, you focusing on both uh, users is a mistake. I think you should hyper-focus on one. It's like building a house. You put the foundation down and then you start framing the walls. What you want to do is you want to put the foundation down as you're framing the walls and as you're decorating. It's a lot, a lot, a lot. And that's a trait of any great entrepreneur over-enthusiasm. 
but what you need to do is cut it back so you're overly enthusiastic on the foundation. And then when you get the foundation, be overly enthusiastic on the next thing. I'm wondering if in your job right now, you could find like-minded souls that could join you with your passion and your challenge. Any guys you could grab, girls you could grab that feel the same way you feel? Because there's something lonely, and this is my second thing that I don't like so much about it. There's something lonely about building something late at night when you're exhausted and trying to get your enthusiasm day after day up, 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 up. And I wish you would have someone else to work with. I think that might make a big difference. Could consult, talk about, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Okay. Whether it be a partner, and I don't know if that's necessary right now, but really a like-minded soul is what I'm thinking of. Do you have yeah. anybody you could drag into your dream and your challenge with you? I do. I'm, I'm actually very fortunate to have a great set of community and, and friends oh. who are very like talented. And I've actually had multiple feedback sessions with them. Good for you. Yeah. And I got like a lot of interest. And I think, as you said, it can get a little lonely. My next kind of like milestone is I want to reach out. I have a list, like two to three people, personal friends of mine could be a potential CTO figure. Okay. Yeah. And I want to go out there and pitch the idea to them. And so like some questions I had as well, like what is your advice and guidance and, you know, looking to co-founders and all that. But that's kind of like the next move for me is, is to figure out who do I bring you know along the board and Create a, have a I think you're way too early. I think you ought to get the foundation of the users coming into your platform. Can you build a platform on your own? That's where I need someone to come in and be the technical person. Um, I'm more of a product management UX design. Okay, so that's like saying you need a yeah. mason for the foundation of the house. You don't know masonry. Okay, or you know of it, but you can't lay the stone. Mm -hmm. All right, so what I would do is find that one person to join your force. And what you offer them is probably some kind of an option. Make it smaller than your generous heart wants to give. I've met more people that regret how much they gave away so fast because you don't know where you're standing now, what kind of talent you're going to need, and what kind of incentives you're going to need two years, three years, five years from now. So offer as little right. as you can to get them to join your parade. Make a list of exactly who you must have just for the foundation. It's going to be hard for you because you like to like jump forward and this and this and this and this and this. Okay. <laughs> so just your foundation and get them in line with you and joined at your hip and then revisit it as you start building the different portions of the house. That would be my only criticism is your own enthusiasm that's getting you off the box and making you start, which is your greatest advantage, is also your greatest disadvantage because you could run like a bunny in nine directions at once and run too fast. So you right. need to like hold yourself back while allowing that wild ass enthusiasm that I hear run forward. And if you could pull that right. off, there's no stopping you on what you could do with your business because it's all based on the five foundational blocks that I heard from you that sound so solid. So that's it. Got it? Got it. And when you say offer a small portion, how would you approach that? You threw out, a, I must have a chief technology officer to actually build the machine, right? I would say, hey, listen, what would get you excited about joining me on this? What would turn you on? Don't name a figure. Mm -hmm. And then whatever they say, cut it by two thirds and say, I get it. Would you do it for a third? And Got on that it. note, I'm going to send you on your path to passion and your empire for the future. I have no doubt you'll build it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate your guidance and feedback. My pleasure. I'm all for you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 
888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoying all the advice here on Business Unusual, I've got a surprise for you. You want life advice? You want everything from the boardroom to the bedroom? Then tune in to 888 Barbara. That's my other podcast where I give straight out, straight talking life advice. 888 Barbara. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a week. Audiation.